0: Continue in our study of First John, and really in our continuing our our study of what it means to be a healthy church, and what it means to to be uh, disciples, and and to follow Christ. And again, as always, I encourage you to go back and and you know listen to some of the earlier sermons if you if you kind of missed those, or you not you know you need to hear them again to really understand. Uh, what was going on? But you know, last week um, I defined a word for you. That's a word that you know I've heard all my life in church, and and I've heard <clears throat> different people talk about it, and you too probably have. And it's that word fellowship, and it's a word that <clears throat> people, when you ask them to define it, it would just kind of be like eh, kind of vague, kind of understanding, and and you know people would talk about how that word and Greek, is koinonia, but it doesn't really help us either. And so in 1 John, we get an understanding because he says, not only do we have fellowship with one another, but we have fellowship with God the Father and through Jesus, with Jesus' Son. And, and so because of that, we, we have to get a better understanding of what fellowship is. And that's why last week I shared with you this, this definition that fellowship is, is active, growing love. Active, growing love. And so at different points throughout this week, Wednesday night, Sunday night, when we had our Bible studies and talked about things, we talked about the difference between passive love and an active, growing love. And we had some discussions about what does that look like? And if we really have fellowship at Yali Baptist Church, do we actually have an active, growing love for one another? And also an active, growing love for God. And we talked about how there's is such a thing as passive love, and that a lot of people have passive love, and passive love is better than no love. But we talked about what passive love is, and how passive love just kind of sits and waits for opportunities to help, and when they come, they'll help. But active love has this this different feel to it. And in in talking about it, um, you know, one of the comments or thoughts that kind of come up in our head sometimes is we go, when we hear about active growing love and we hear about passive love and maybe we think we're more of a passive love kind of person you know one of the things we always we want to say because i say it myself is but but that active love thing that's not me or that's not my culture or that's not hawaii or that's not this or that's not that and and let me just tell you if that's what you're thinking, you're almost there. You're almost there. Because if you know it's not you, if you know it's not you to be someone who's more active in your love, more growing in your love, more you know, trying to find and think about and pray about and look for ways to, to show love to others, if you know that's not you, you know that's not your nature. You know it's not how you were brought up. When it happens, you will know it was God. God likes to bring us to these, these places where we're confronted with what it means to be like Jesus, when what it means to be a healthy church. And he wants us to get to the place to say, God, that's fine, but that's not me. That's not me. And then he says, all right. So when it happens, remember that. When someone down the line, as you grow in your faith and you grow in showing love to others, somewhere down the line, someone says, that was pretty amazing that you you do that or you think that way, you act that way. Remember, it wasn't you. Something happened to you. And you know, one other thought that came up in Sunday school today, keep in mind, is that the whole thing of Christianity, if you understand what Christianity is, it's this idea of being changed and changed and changed. It is a, it is a lifelong process of becoming more like Christ. And the only time you get to stop is when you become perfectly always like Christ. And if you've reached there, I want to meet you because you're way ahead of me and you probably need to be up here helping the rest of us. Which means to say that's not me, to say that's not me for a Christian is simply, but it's, who I want to become it's where I'm going I hear about who Jesus is and how Jesus loved us how he continues to love us I hear about his heart and his character and I want to be more like that it's not me that's not an excuse for Christians, it's an excuse for the world to say that's not me, that's fine for you guys but it's not me Christians, if we're placed before us something that is from God's word we cannot simply say it's not me we have to say Jesus it's not me today but help me keep going there help me to move in that direction and so sometimes it's helpful to even see like What did God's active love look like for us? Because God could have had passive love. God could have just sat up in heaven and said, you know, those guys, they rejected me. Too bad for them. But no, we see see active love from, from creation. He creates. God doesn't have to create. He's perfect. Father, Son, Spirit. Perfect community. Perfect love for all of eternity. doesn't have to create, but he creates. It's an active love. And then, after we reject him, after we disobey, after we say we know another way, he comes to us. He doesn't do what we sometimes do, like if someone offends us or someone wrongs us, we say, I'm going to, they, they got to come to me. No, he came to us. and He didn't just come to us. He became like us. Not in the bad sense of becoming like us, but that's the whole story of Jesus, the Son of God, becoming human, becoming flesh. He became like us. And Jesus didn't just come to earth and do what he could have done, just go, you know, hang out until he had to die. He hung out with us. This is God's active love. He taught us. He put up with us. I just think about sometimes when you read the gospels carefully about what knuckleheads that that Jesus' disciples were. And and I don't know that Jesus did this, but I gotta think there were times when he just, you know, pulled out his hair. They were so crazy. Just when they would seem like they're getting it, they don't get it. God's active love perseveres through our ignorance, our failures, our mistakes, continues to love. And then he dies. He dies for his his enemies. He dies for people who don't even care about him. He dies for all of us. And not only that, he reveals. Jesus doesn't just Just sit there and and hide truth. He reveals truth. He shows us truth. Both in what he says and how he lives. And then he renews us. You know, some of those things we can't do. We can't love, we can't have active love the way the way that the way that God does, because we can't really create and we can't really renew. But we can do some of the other things. We we can be the kind of people who are full of grace. We can can be the kind of people who, who move towards those who we love. Who in some ways and in the good ways are willing to become like them so that we might understand them more. There's a lot of things we can do. We can be patient when people just don't seem to get it and you try tried again and again and again to help them and explain to them and model for them, but, but, but you have patience and grace. So many ways. That's the question we ask. How do we foster active growing love in our lives and in our church? Well, today's message turns to this thing that is not popular to talk about, and I, and I was thinking about a good image, and Those of you who are younger, you don't know this terror. All of us who are older, we remember this terror quite well. And that's when you got your report card. Does that look familiar? That's one of mine, because it's all A's. Um, (laughs) But you remember, uh, public school especially was particularly cruel back in our day. Because not only did you get the report card, You got to see it and you had to take it home and give it to your parents. And of course, you know, kids tried everything, right? Oh, I didn't get one. They gave one to all the other kids, but I didn't get one. Or I thought I had one, but I think I lost it. Or let's just pretend there's no report cards and hopefully mom and dad are too busy and won't ask. Of course, if you got a good report, all A's and S's. Oh, you you run home, show mom and dad, put it on the refrigerator, right? Let them know. But if you had a bad one, oh, that walk home, it's like forever, you know? You're just contemplating so many things about joining the circus, uh, you know, going to another island. You know, maybe one of the families along the way will adopt you. You know, we could try to change it, we could try to ignore it, but eventually we had to own it. I think that's kind of how the world, and unfortunately, sometimes the church has become about sin. We don't want to talk about sin. We want to ignore it. We want to pretend it's not there. We want to, we want to explain it away. We want, to, we want to redefine sin. We want to justify sin. We want to say, you know, sin it's not really sin. It's just it's just difference of opinion, it's, 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 it's cultural differences, it's generational differences, but it's, it's really not sin, and what's sin to you is not necessarily sin to me, and, and we move away from it. We're afraid to talk about sin, and that's sad. That song we just sang, that song we just sang is why we should talk about sin, because Christianity properly understood and properly preached doesn't end with sin, It ends with, I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me. Do you guys get that? Jesus' embrace is not as impactful if we don't understand sin. If we want to explain sin away as just differences... But when we understand sin, is actually a rejection of God. It's a way of saying, I am better than you, God. I know better. I'm going to go a different way. And then you finally come back. He doesn't judge you. He doesn't condemn you. He embraces you. get that? We should talk about sin, but we shouldn't talk about sin the way, unfortunately, sin had been talked about in the church, is in a way of just condemning people and berating them, judging them, reason to distance. No. If we're going to be the body of Christ, we need to be people who do what Jesus does. Jesus was a friend of sinners. And he was such a good friend that he refused to allow them to remain in their sin. And he did all he could to bring them out. So we come to this letter and again, just a reminder of context. John is writing this letter probably in, in the 90s, the third generation after the church first starts and these false teachers have tried to come into the church. And John's trying to help these, this church understand the difference. He's trying to help them see the difference between false teachers and, he's, and, and, and true teachers. And so now he's going to be talking about something that, that the way that this is written in Greek, and if you want to understand some of this more, come on Wednesday night. But the way this is written, it, it's presented as though this is something they were being taught. This is something that the false teachers were teaching them. And so in verse 8 it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The big message for this series is, the truth we live. And in a positive sense, what that means is when we understand the truth of what it, of, of what it means to be a Christian, we understand the truth of Jesus Christ, we should, we should live that in the world. But there's also the negative side of that, which is how we live is really what we believe. So the truth we live. And if we understand if we believe the truth is that sin is an offense against God, that it's rebellion against God, that it's saying we know better than God, if we believe that, and we also believe the truth that God is perfect and all-powerful and all-knowing and loving, then when we have sin in our lives, the truth we live means that we will do everything we can to get it out. We will not try to explain it away. We will not try to justify it. We will not try to, to, to you know find a kind of a safe place for it, to hold on to it. We want to get rid of it. But here, John says some pretty sobering things for us. Because apparently what had been taught by the false teachers is that you can be sinless. You can be perfect. And John says... No. He says, we all sin. Now, I know you had the report cards, and sometimes in the old-style report cards, there was grammar. So if you didn't do well with grammar, you might not know this. But what tense is that? Well, it's present tense. It's not we all sinned. It's not we all will sin. It is we are all actively sinning. Get that I used to think when I was a kid, because I would you know go to church I'd hear you know these, these the sermons, and then i would and I would always be ready because like Sunday morning I would get up and I would confess all my sins, right because then I knew I'd be going to church and everything, so I'd be good at least for like four or five hours until the cowboys lost, and then I would have sinful thoughts against their opponent but but other you know. I I would be clean for four or five hours. I was wrong. I was wrong because just because I confessed the sins I knew didn't mean I was without sin. The psalmist talks about this, about about searching. God, search me. Reveal to me those things in me that that I cannot see. Or I could see them, but I I don't want to see them. Or I've relabeled them. Instead of calling them sin, I've called them idiosyncrasies or bad habits or, you know, whatever label you want to put on it. Those things I've hidden, the things I'm not even aware of. And when we were talking about worldviews, you know, Eric brought up this point, which is similar to what we're saying, is that the reason we don't really know what we believe sometimes is because those particular beliefs have never been tested. And so when they are finally tested, what we often want to say is, when we make a mistake is, oh, that's not me. That's not me. That's just, that's happened one time, it's a mistake, that's not me. Truth is, it is you. It is you. I sometimes quote the great football philosopher, Bill Parcells, and one of the things he used to say is about, about your football team. You know, your football team is 10 wins, 6 losses, and people go, well, we, we're really a 12-2 team, 12 wins, 2 losses. That's what we really are. And Bill Parcells would say, no, you are what you are. You are what you are. Stop trying to say like, oh, you know, if things were different. Yeah, sure, if things were different. If I had a different face, I'd be a male model, right? But I'm not. I don't I can't use that as a as an excuse, as a reason. We are what we are. And we need to know that it's not a secret. It's not a secret. We are all actively sinning. And if that offends you, come talk to me. Because the fact that you're offended is probably evidence that you're sinning. We, we gotta stop pretending. That's what John says. But understand just because we have sin in our life, doesn't mean there's no light. There is light. There is light. You know, my, but my question is, is there, is there a struggle? If I have things in my life I know the Bible says are wrong, attitudes, habits, actions, I know they're wrong. Is there at least a struggle? Because the presence of a struggle is the presence of light. Oh, I might be trying to suppress it. But at least it's there. You've probably heard this before, that, that, that the word that John is using is this Greek word, hamartia, which was an archer's term, and it meant to, to miss the target, to miss the mark. And that's, that's one explanation. It's, as Paul will say in Romans, to fall short of the glory of God. You see, the reason I can with confidence say that we are all actively sinning is because I can confidently say none of us is perfect. None of us is perfectly like Christ right now. The only reason God sees us with the righteousness and the perfection of Christ is because of what Jesus Christ did for us. That's why. Missing the mark, falling short. But you see, there's other ways we sin too. We like to talk about that one. But the other ways we sin is we never take the shot. We don't even try. We don't even try to do God's will and get it wrong. We don't even take the shot. There's a lot of ways. You see, just like we try to understand that love is not the expression of love, expression of love and love They're two different things. How I express love is going to be more particular to a situation, and I could get it horribly wrong. It's particular to a person. I could get it horribly wrong. But if I'm doing it from love, at least I got the love part right. Well, in the same way, sin is more than action. Sin is is something inside of us. Something inside of us that believes we... Or perhaps we're not so arrogant to think we, someone else, knows better than God and knows better than His Word. It might be philosophy, it might be society, it might be a good friend who always seems to make sense and knows the right things to say. It could be a lot of things. But the sin is, what Jesus tried to tell us is, is it. it's not... Just the action, that's the expression. It's it's what's in your heart. As Jesus said, when we went through the Sermon on the Mount, if you hate your brother, you've committed the same sin as murder. Different action. You didn't actually murder him, but you did. If you lust after someone, you've committed adultery. You didn't actually... Do the action, expression wasn't there, but you did it. It all matters. Now, again, if you came on Wednesday night, I would ask them to raise their hand so you could go talk to them because they're super smart because they they get extra lessons. So you can ask one of them what a chiasm is, okay? What a chiasm is. What John is writing here is a chiasm. And and the most important point isn't sin. That's what we think. When we read this, we think it's sin. And the reason we do is because the word sin is repeated multiple times. It's there in the verse 8, it's there in verse 10. We think it's sin. But but the kind of unique thing about chiasms is that the main point is in the middle. I I described it on Wednesday night as it's a thought sandwich. You got two pieces of bread, but what really makes the sandwich is what's in the middle. What's in the middle? What does it say there? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the main message. The main message is not, we've all sinned, we are all actively sinning. John's just pointing out something that he thinks should be obvious, but these false teachers were trying to teach something else. But the main message is this. If we confess the sins we're actively committing, God is faithful. is just to forgive us. He will embrace you in His arms. Why are you trying to hide something from someone who already knows it all? You know, we don't have the, I don't think people, you know, kids have to do that terrible thing of having to take their bad report cards to their parents. If they did, it would be kind of dumb for them to try to change the grade, make that F. If you just add a line to the F, it looks like an A, right? Just add a line, crunch it a little bit. But now we, you know, whenever I teach, we have this thing called Blackboard and parents and their kids can see their grades in real time all the time. No sense trying to hide anymore. They can see every day what your grades are. Why are we trying to hide from God? Why are we trying to pretend something's not there, that he knows is there? If we confess, if we confess, God will forgive. But here's what confession is. Some people think like, oh, cool, 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 that's a great plan because... I can just keep doing whatever and just make sure I confess right away, right? As long as confession stays slightly ahead of sin, I'm good. No. This is what confession means. Confession means to agree. It doesn't mean simply to state. It means to agree. You are agreeing with God. This is wrong. You are agreeing with God This is against your ways and your law. You are agreeing with God. My heart is not doing the right thing for the right reasons. Or my heart is leading me to do wrong things. You're agreeing with him. And if you're truly a Christian, when you make that agreement, your next thing is going to be, What can I do to never, ever, ever do this again? What can I do to stop this thing inside of me that makes me do what I know I shouldn't do? It's confession. And remember, sin isn't just missing the mark. Sin is sometimes never taking the shot. I think sometimes a lot of Christians have, and by the way, when I say a lot, that's me protecting myself. I really mean me, and probably some of you. We, we, we say like oh, we don't sin. I right? we, we we don't sin. We don't. I, I keep all the Ten Commandments. Um, but do you always do? what you know God wants you to do. When you see someone hurting, do you always ask, God, how can I help the person who's hurting? When when I know I should be praying for my brothers and sisters in this church, am I praying for my brothers and sisters in this church? When I know that that if I'm going to love God and know God more and be more like Christ, I need to be in his word, am I in his word? when i when i know that, that god wants me not to just to be a good person so i can feel good about myself about being a good person but he wants me to be to be good so that so that i can go out and advance his kingdom am i doing it whether it's very specific things or very general things have i convinced myself that that it's okay as long as i don't do the things that he said not to do. Well, let me just tell you, it's not okay. Not as Christians. We don't simply stop doing the things he says don't do. We are also called to do the things that he wants us to do. And some of these are things we find in the Bible, just talked about them, and some of them are more specific. And let me tell you, sometimes it's hard Sometimes, you know, it's awkward. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes you're going to get rejected because you know that that person needs to know about God's love and you need to show it to them and you want to reach out and show it to them and they go, no, get away from me. Leave me alone. Are you willing to do it? So sin can... Can show up in a lot of ways. You see, if, if you're tracking with me, if, if you believe all the way back from last September that God wants his churches to be healthy communities of disciples, if that's what he wants, then we should know also that that sin would be anything that 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 stops that from happening. Maybe it's being judgmental. Maybe it's this refusal to change or to grow. Maybe it's the refusal to accept people who are different from you. Maybe it's like, well, I love most people, but not my enemies. So it's kind of sobering when we look at what sin is and it's, and it's not just those really bad things that we would never think of doing. But let me remind you, the main message is this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's the heart. But see, we cannot confess if we do not know. That's why we need to be a community of disciples because part of being a disciple is to know more and more about what it means to be like Christ. And the more I realize what it means to be like Christ, the more I realize I'm not even close to it. And that's not a depressing thing. It's a good thing. Because first of all, it tells me how awesome Jesus is. And I picked a good person to follow. And I'm so glad he's the one. There's another side of it. It also helps, it's good because it, it, it helps me to know that He promises to be there with me and to help me, and it's not me on my own. We cannot confess what we do not know. That's why, again, the Psalmist says, search me, O God, reveal to me things. It's one of the reasons if we have healthy community, healthy relationships, healthy dialogue, It's going to be to the point where people feel they can tell us things about ourselves that we need to confront. And we don't want to. And we'll receive it. Oh, we might not take care of it right away, and at first we might be a little defensive, but we'll listen. And then we will begin to move. You see, some people... sometimes think like, um, you know, like, okay, I'm, you know, yeah, okay, you're right. But, you know, I've I've been doing it this other way all this time, and, and what am I supposed to do? Well, whether it's my students that I taught in Greek who wasted half a semester before they realized they actually needed to study, or whether runners that I coach at Kalani who, you know, sat around all summer, when they come to the realization that they weren't doing what they needed to do, I always tell them the same thing. You can only begin where you are. So start now. Start now. Don't sit around thinking like, oh, if I had started two years ago, I'd be such a better runner. Yeah, you would be. But there's no time machine. You cannot go back two years. Start where you are. Be the best you can be from now on. Oh, if only from first semester I had really studied Greek the way, the, you know, way I should have. I, I, well, you know what? You can't go back in time. Start where you are. And if you're beginning to realize more and more about what it means to follow Christ, and you go, I, I don't know, start where you are. And if we have a healthy community, if we have a healthy community of disciples, You know what that's going to be? It's going to be people being like Jesus and embracing you. I like what he says there. You have to actually back up to verse 7 where he says, The blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. Again, what is this telling us? It's just showing us what, what God's love looked like in the person of Jesus Christ. This active love that comes toward us. But it also tells us the less we're like Christ, the more the light that's supposed to shine from us gets dull. If we're going to shine the light of Jesus to a world that needs to see the pure light of Jesus, we gotta do all we can to not lessen that light when it reflects off of us. To not dull that light. That's why we do it. We don't do it simply because it'll make us have a better life, it'll make us feel better about ourselves, it'll help us get through our problems. All those things are true, we'll do that. But we do it because God has called us to be reflectors of His light. You know, sometimes when I go running, I sweat a little and then my glasses get all these big globs of sweat on there and then, you know, I can't really see clearly. I have to clean them off. I think sometimes the, the picture is that, is, that, is that God wants the world to see Him through us, but we got too many globs on the lens. That's why we need to clean it off. And what's great is we don't have to do it on our own. It begins with confessing. It begins with asking God, search my heart. It begins with saying, stop, I'm not going to make any more excuses, God, for, my, for the areas of my life when I know are nothing like, nothing like Jesus, nothing like what you would do, what you would be, what you would say, how you would act, nothing, help me, confess. search me It begins with us saying, "Okay, I'm going to study more about God's word. I'm going to study more about what it means to be a Christian. I'm going to under, try to understand more about what it means to follow him." And as I find those areas in my life where I know I need to work, I'm going to I'm going to confess what I need to confess and I'm going to say, "God, work and help me." And he promises to forgive us. He promises to come alongside us. He promises to provide us with other believers that are going to help us. Let's shine clearly the light of Jesus Christ. Let's be people who understand what sin is, even if we don't know all the details. And we want nothing to do with it.